Welcome to the Wonder Women Tech Show, where we highlight, celebrate, and amplify women and BIPOC voices. We humanize our role models and curate a culture of vulnerability and belonging. This is a show designed to innovate, empower, and ignite. I'm your host, Lisa Mae Brunson. It's Lisa Mae Brunson with the Wonder Women Tech Show. Today's guest is someone who has had the privilege of helping one of the largest companies in the world grow from a few billions, yes, billions, to the successful and complex organization that it is today. Claudia Clemente is a 15-year Amazonian building the next generation of shopping for Amazon in Alexa. Her team helps customers buy their favorite items and get the best deals with the help of Alexa. Claudia is also a Latina and a mom of three. Her long career at Amazon started when she was a seed member of the operations planning team back when Amazon had just a handful of warehouses in the U.S. Her career at Amazon also includes managing business teams in the consumables business at Amazon early innovator in novel products like Amazon Go and Just Check Out, and expansion of Amazon's ebook business, Kindle. Claudia holds a BS in industrial engineering from the Universidad de Carabobo in Venezuela, a master of science in industrial engineering, and a master of business administration, both from the University of Washington. Welcome to the show, Claudia. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you inviting me. Yeah, I'm so honored to have the opportunity to work with Amazon Alexa Shopping as a valued partner for the work we do here at Wonder Woman Tech. So I'm super excited to sit down with you today. I'm super excited to talk today with you. So before we tackle the larger conversation on what it's like to be an executive at Amazon, I love to learn more about your roots and foundation. Where did you grow up and what was your family life like? My father is originally from Spain and his family came to Latin America like many other expats um, fleeing the civil war in Spain. My mom and her family are Venezuelan. I was born and raised in Venezuela and went to undergrad in Venezuela and then moved to the U.S. I've lived all of my adult life in the U.S. I moved when I was in my early 20s and have lived in Seattle since then. I, it's going to be my 22nd year in Seattle. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, long time. And so it's, you know, when people ask me, where are you from? I just, you know, citizenship-wise, I'm like, I'm American, I'm Venezuelan, I'm Spaniard, all over. What were some of the earliest influences that have shaped you as you were young? What were some of your hobbies and interests as a kid in Venezuela? So my my mother was first generation college in Venezuela. Her degree is not something that exists in the U.S. Um, 
maybe hematologist. So she's in healthcare and she mm-hmm. had her lab. And so she was always a role model for me when you talk about balancing uh, work and life and having your personal career and all of that. And she had her own lab. Um, and so that definitely was something I come from a, especially in my mom's side, uh, a, a line of uh, a strong women. My grandmother was a principal, a teacher. She didn't go to college, but she, you know she had her own career and retired of that. And so it's it was always you know there wasn't a question in my household, unlike other households, you know whether you go to college and you get a degree, et cetera. That was sort of given and that you would do one step more than the generation prior. You know, my mom finished a four-year college where my grandma did a two-year college. And the expectation was that I would do, you know, beyond that, I would get sort of, you know, master's degree, et cetera, like many, I would say, immigrant families. And so I had amazing women in my house that were my household and my family that were role models. But there was also... Uh, my dad owned uh, uh, his own business, and he had a printing pub- publishing um, company. So he would print books and posters, and mostly, you know, academic books. And I was always wanted to take uh, care of the family business. This was before all the political upheaval in Venezuela that would make um, nearly impossible for anyone to have a, a decent career in Venezuela. So I always planned, you know, from when I was little, I was good at numbers and I was like, what do I need to study to take care of the family business? And so I was always mm-hmm. some sort of engineering when, with business and, and that's how I plan my future. Little did I know that due to, you know, all the political and economic situation in Venezuela would end up. Uh, leaving my country pretty early and staying in big tech, which was never originally my plan. I was in the right place in the right time in Seattle 20 something years ago. Wow. That's incredible. You know, to like have two role models that were already kind of giving you an understanding of what representation looks like when you're leading, when you're having your own businesses and, and charting a path forward and interesting that you wanted to not only level that up, but to take care of them in the process. Do you, were you like an oldest child or an only child? No, I have one sister. Um, and she actually, I should say she's also a role model. Um, she went to school for aerospace engineer. So she was oh, you wow. know, rocket science. <laughs> I want to be part of your family. (laughs) And so she went in, she's five years older than me. And when she got to go to school, she wanted to build airplanes because that's what my Spanish grandfather used to do. And so she wanted to follow uh, that path. And, and so, you know, when you, when you grow up in, in, in some of the poorest countries in Latin America, the paths are not diverse. You're either an engineer. If you if you can, if you're middle class, then you're either an engineer, a doctor, or a lawyer. Because anything else, this may be controversial for listeners, I don't know, but anything else doesn't lead to a good, quote unquote, good life, you know? And yeah. so I knew I, I didn't want to be a doctor and I knew I didn't want to be a lawyer. So it was a question of what type of engineering would I, <laughs> would I be? 
yeah, but so, you're yeah. not alone. Like this is like you're you're not the first like human or especially immigrant that has yeah. actually said the exact same thing, almost the exact same type of tracks. Yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, in, in Venezuela, undergrad, uh, education is free. So I got my undergrad in industrial engineering with deep sort of technical foundational mathematics because industrial engineering uh, is very much related with operations research, which is a foundation for, you know, machine learning, you know, in general, just optimization. And so that served me well when I when I moved to the U.S. to get my master's degree. Yeah, you know, like I was just going to ask, like, what is industrial engineering? Yeah, um, I and I've never worked as an industrial engineer. <laughs> I mean, sort <laughs> of, sort of. Um, industrial engineering is that part of engineering. Uh, some people call it production engineering, too. But it was mm. at that point, it was designed to there were the engineers that would own uh, create the processes for manufacturing. And as such, you took a lot of, yeah, industrial, uh, you know, projects and uh, economics and that type of thing, but also what is called operations research, which is, you know, optimization in general. And that came with just the very heavy sort of math. You know, I did work for a bit in Chrysler um, back when I was in college. And uh, and industrial engineers would work sort of in auto manufacturing and other types of manufacturing. And uh, while I was going through school, I, to undergrad, I also worked at my dad's uh, business. And so it was, you know, helping them set up the line, getting, making sure that the processes were optimized, that, you know, we would make money, that sort of thing. That's what industrial engineering is about. There's, UW has a program too. About um, so I, I did my master's there, my master's in industrial engineering. You know, as you were going through your educational journey, do you feel that you were supported? Like, did you have mentors along the way? Because I imagine like you were one of few women in your classes. What did your educational journey look like? You know, the interesting piece is that in my undergrad in Venezuela, it was about 50-50. Oh, women, men. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's because you have fewer choices and women are like, we got to do this or we don't do anything else. Um, <laughs> but it, it was much more balanced. And then I got to the U.S. And so I, I, I came to the U.S. My sister, Patricia, was already here. And so um, she had finished her master's. And so I wanted to move close to where they were. And I applied to, I ended up applying to a master's in engineering and to the MBA at the University of Washington, to be honest, because I didn't think that I, I wanted to, I didn't know which one I was going to get into or if I was going to get into any of, you know, of the master's. So I said, I'm going to increase my odds and I'm going to apply to both. And you know, that immigrant in you, you have to, you always have to take the extra step. Um, do, well, it's just like, you know, to be considered for the same type of job, I knew I had to have that extra qualification, you know? Yeah, yeah, and so, yeah. um, I ended up getting into both, accepted into both programs and I made it so, uh, engineering usually has much more, a, uh, funding 
And so uh, they had offered me a, a TA-ship, a teaching assistantship uh, through the master's that would pay for my tuition and give me, I don't know, at that point it was like $1,500 a month. Um, and uh, I had a daughter, you know, I had a daughter pretty young. And so I ended up accepting both. And so I did uh, the two master's in two years and then I worked as a TA, a teaching assistant, uh, to pay through school. And so I uh, I did some overlapping of credits and magic and ended up um, with both degrees at the same time. I mean, that is that is extra. <laughs> like I hear one master's program. I did not do that. So one pro- master's program is, is challenging in and of itself. But to tackle two at the same time, I'm just, wow. <laughs> I, I like to say, I'm going to take the compliments. So yes, thank you. Um, but I like to say that, you know, I cheated a little bit because I took my electives of uh, my engineering masters were the core credits for my MBA and vice versa. And so while, while people were taking like, you know, writing or like other, like, you know, following your hobby for your electives, I was taking like the course, the core classes were for the other masters. Uh, and that worked out well. And, uh, and as I said, it just gave me so much freedom because I didn't have to go into debt. I knew I was, I had to pay for my own school. And so by assisting professors, uh, in engineering, it just, uh, it paid for school. So it's great. What have been some of the greatest lessons you have learned along the way? Yeah, very much like my, um, undergrad is sort of my my trajectory to the U.S. and my master's being very organic in a way of, you know, taking opportunities that are presented to me. Um, I think that my career has been the same. I'd like to say that my career has been intentional, but it's actually been sort of organic. Um, I, as I mentioned earlier, I, I, I now have a almost 25 year old daughter that I had. So I had my daughter when I was 19. And so she went through undergrad and grad school with me. And so <laughs> I, um, I, when I was finishing my master's, a lot of things were happening here in Seattle. Uh, Microsoft was, you know, in full blown. Amazon was a smaller company, but the hot one was Microsoft at that point. And we had like 2000 employees in Seattle. And with my um, operations research and industry engineering background, when I finished my master's, I had an, an offer to go and work for Amazon in one of the fulfillment centers in Kentucky, which was kind of like a right, you know, easy path from an industry engineer and an MBA we would hire at that time. Amazon would hire sort of these leaders that had operations experience and background with an MBA to lead the warehouses and grow them. Um, And I decided that I couldn't take it. And so I rejected my first offer to come and work for Amazon because I had my daughter and I couldn't commit to having shifts and working at night in a warehouse. And that wasn't a lifestyle that I could support, even though it would have led to 
you know, more money and probably a bigger growth. And so I ended up accepting an offer to go and work at Alaska Airlines. And it was a great, great opportunity for me to learn and grow and make mistakes because it was a much more smaller organization, not the pace of high tech. And so it was a great, you know, great learning ground for me. And then a couple of years later, um, I got another offer to come uh, work for Amazon this time here in, in Seattle Incorporated, and I took that. And the rest is sort of history. But um, <laughs> we can talk about my experience here and how it's been super diverse. But that's that's how I, I got it. I, and I like to say that I was, you know, just in the right place at the right time. And I feel that way right now, actually, too. We can talk about that later as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, as as we learned, like you started at Amazon 15 years ago yeah. when it just had a few warehouses, which blows my mind because, yeah. you know, like we know that Amazon is such an everyday part of our lives. Like I don't know anyone that is not using Amazon products or services at at some point or went shopping like I did like a crazy maniac during the pandemic. But I want to learn more about what the process was like for you as you were developing your new roles and growing within multiple areas of the company, because you kind of bounced around and what that journey looked like, you know, as now you are at Amazon Alexa shopping. Yeah. Yeah. It was always, so Amazon is a company that encourages folks to move around a lot. Right. And I've definitely been one of those that whose career has not been very linear. I haven't stayed. You know, if you think about the way that I see it is that I've built a toolkit of working at Amazon successfully. And then I've either changed job functions or businesses and uh, different maturities and, you know, selfishly allowed me to learn so much. I, I started my career doing this, uh, um, what is traditionally called sales and operations planning, but basically, you know, what boxes are going to go where and how do we fit them in the warehouses? And so I did that for a little bit. And that is the core of Amazon.com, right? That How do we move boxes from A to B and how do we do it cheaply? So it was a great learning opportunity um, to, to kind of learn about that core piece of Amazon. And then I had an opportunity to move to what we call the retail business. And so I said, I'm going to learn how to run a P&L. Where else do you have the opportunity as a, at that point, I don't know, in my mid-20s, to run a P&L of billions of dollars? Wow. You know? Because, you know, at that point, I think consumers were still, right. And so, you know, I joined the team and I'm managing vendors. Part of my vendors were, you know, Procter & Gamble and Johnson & Johnson because I was in, you know, diapers, consumables, that category. And I remember just sitting next to these CEOs and hearing, you know, two, four years, maybe five years after my master's. But because we were such an important vendor for them, we had access to their executives and we were managing their business, you know, their, their fastest growing business at that point. And so it was, again, a, a great opportunity to, to learn the business, the front end of the business, managing our business. And after that, I sort of fell in love with building products. And so since mm-hmm. then, 
I've been moving different businesses, different industries, but the constant has been managing technical teams and product teams to build software products. And in some cases it's been, you know, very, very early on, on a product development cycle, like Amazon Go. So it's like PM number two, when we started to say, okay, we'll think we can build technology where you don't have to check out in a store. What if you were just gonna walk out and everything automatically happens and you don't have to like take things out of your cart and back in your cart, you just walk out. And so from that <laughs> constant, you know, building, we didn't have the technology, we didn't have anything. And so that, you know, that's a different experience than say, then I moved for a few years, I, I managed all the expansion with Kindle um, our ebook business. And that was, you know, a business where I would call awkward teenage years. So they've grown, <laughs> but they weren't like in that zero to one stage that just walk out or Amazon store was, or the Amazon Go store was. And so the, the challenges and the learnings were very, very different. Uh, super interesting. Culturally, I got to launch Arabic and Kindle. I, I got to launch traditional Chinese written language and, and, and Kindle and, and the cultural aspects of that were so rich and so much learning. And then I joined Alexa Shopping in the past four years where it was we consider another inflection point in the shopping uh, experience for customers. You know, before it was sort of brick and mortar, then you move into web, then you moved into mobile. And we think that ambient computing and the advances of ambient computing are going to allow us for us to have Alexa as, as a shopping assistant. And so different, you know, different stages of businesses, different types of businesses. I joined Alexa, I didn't know anything about artificial intelligence and, or machine learning or how do we do things? And um, and I, I love that learning a new business, a new product, a new place. It's, it's what drives me. Learning through immersion. Like you're just yeah. like thrown in there. I know. You throw yourself in there, it sounds I like. <laughs> I know. Believe me, I've thought about it so much. I'm like, why do I put myself in this very uncomfortable situations? <laughs> and what, just when I start getting comfortable, then I'm like, no, this is too boring. I'm going to go ahead and do something, you know, learn something it's new. Track. Like, like even just like looking backwards a little bit, it tracks. Like you've been this is who you've been. And mm -hmm. so you've just applied it to all of the various aspects of your career. Yeah. Super exciting. And, you know, as we're talking about artificial intelligence, how are new technologies like long language models and generative AI going to change the world of big tech and specifically your current world of AI assistance? Yeah. So if you think about uh, Alexa, what it is today. So Alexa as, a, as an assistant leaves on the Echo family devices and she's also, they are also on our mobile app, right? And we've been working at it for a handful of years. Alexa's seven years old. Um, and the experiences that we've been aiming to build are relatively expensive to build up until now 
you know, when we talk about uh, the field of natural language understanding and um, it's, it's been creating natural conversations, you know, speaking to Alexa like you would um, any human being uh, has not been there. It's been difficult. And so we've sort of trained customers to speak in a way that we would understand them with phrases that we would understand them. And so while we have, you know, we have hundreds of millions of households that have Alexa devices and, you know, we have a pretty, you know, decent sized business today um, where customers are using Alexa to help them shop, it's still a little, it could be so much better. And so with large language models uh, coming out, um, you know, hitting that inflection point that they did in uh, experiences like ChatGPT, it's opened up um, our, our opportunities. And so now we see a world in which customers can have really natural, engaging conversations with an assistant that is really going to understand and help them. And so what, you know, before we were sort of like, I don't think we could have gotten there without the path that we took, but, you know, it was sort of like chipping along and building experiences that, you know, building a big house to, to, uh, to host, you know, customers right now, we see a more nimble and better way to meet the customer needs. And so that, I think we're, it's going to revolutionize what we do and not only what we do, I think, you know, large language models are going to revolutionize other things, not only the AI world, um, but uh, especially when, what we do. And so I'm looking forward to, I feel that I am in the right place, again, in the right place at the right mm -hmm. time in the right company to learn about these new technologies and how customers want to interact with them, how customers are you know when we when given the freedom to say whatever they want to say not what we understand how where are they going to take us and what do they want and how can we help them more and so I'm, I'm really really looking forward to seeing how our space evolves in the next six months and 12 months i don't think is this is going to be a 2024 20, i think it's right away and so it's a super experience exciting uh time from a technology perspective yeah, I mean, definitely we're seeing that there are a lot of conversations, heated and controversial and, you know, exciting, centered around artificial intelligence. What do you feel is on the horizon for AI-driven innovation? Like, should we be scared? You know, I'm an optimistic when it comes to these things. Um, I think that if we, of course, we need to be careful and we need to be build responsibly. Um but I think that if we focus on the customer needs and the customer problems and solve those customer problems, then good things happen. You know, I remember when I, back when, again, when we started uh, working on uh, the Just Walkout technology for initially for Amazon Go stores, there was a question, right? Would people 
like like this experience? Would it be okay? Because it's, you know, it's product recognition and image recognition based and is, you know, it's the same machine learning and all of that in a different way. Um, would people be okay with that? Would, you know, what people call the creepy factor. And we always focused on if the experience is delightful, then folks are going to be okay. They're going to use it because the benefit outweighs sort of all this other stuff that may, that may um, be in their heads. And, you know, I don't, I don't know where you're at, but here in Seattle now, you know, we, uh, we offer the technology to other stores. And so every stadium has just walk out technology um, Mm. and the stores. And I see, you know, millions of people using them when you go to games when you go to concerts you just like imagine just there's no line right you just come in grab a water and just walk out and uh and so i think that the same is gonna happen with artificial intelligence um if we focus on the customer now i don't want to undermine there are you know like any like anything we need to have the we need to build responsibly um and 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 that is a, a big statement like what does responsibility mean and so there are a lot of people that are studying that right and so arm yourself with the right team that is going to educate you and all your engineers on how to build responsibly yeah i i appreciate you know that perspective and definitely i think we're you know as you mentioned we're at the forefront of some quick change and I'm excited to see how you know technology will be ethical and also support our human experience ethical We're, inclusive you know yes all of it it's vital that it is ethical and inclusive for sure and that we I have agree. diverse and inclusive um, minded engineers at the helm of that innovation yeah. as well yeah We're going to take a break for today's Pioneering Women segment. Today's Pioneering Woman is Maya Burhankpar. Maya Burhankpar is a graduate of Harvard University, where she studied physics and computer science and is now a Rhodes Scholar at Oxford University. She is the founder of Adventist Robotics, an autonomous robotic startup specializing in automating power wheelchairs for hospitals and consumers, which won the 2020 Harvard I-3 Innovation Challenge, the 2021 Lamelson MIT Student Prize, and the 2020 LPCE Launch Fund Accelerator. She was also an Innovation Fellow at Harvard Business School and has worked in investing from early stage VC to public global macro. In 2013, Maya traveled to the Arctic and produced an open source documentary called 400 PPM about climate change, featuring author Margaret Atwood and astronaut Chris Hadfield. It was awarded the International Gloria Barron Prize. She also received the Queen Elizabeth II Diamond Jubilee Medal presented on behalf of the Governor General of Canada and was in Canada's top 20 under 20. Thank you for your pioneering contributions, Maya Burhan Kapar. The vision of Amazon Alexa Shopping is to redefine the future of shopping by transforming the way our customers browse, 
find and buy from Amazon by using Alexa. We are seeking the best builders from all backgrounds to help us create unique experiences that weren't possible in the past. From data to design, across engineering, marketing, research, and more, you will help further our shopping by voice platform through Alexa-powered devices. We want the best talent to join, grow, and stay in Alexa shopping. Our diverse perspectives come from many sources, including gender, race, ethnicity, age, national origin, sexual orientation, religion, disability, professional and life experiences, and other identities. We believe that every person should feel comfortable sharing their unique perspectives and hope you will consider joining our team. Hello, innovators. We are back with Claudia Clemente, who is taking us on a journey through industrial engineering, leading one of the world's largest companies, and exploring the world of AI. Claudia, you believe in a people-first leadership style. What does it mean to start with your employees when it comes to business? Yeah, this has been, um, for leadership style and leadership, yeah, leadership style has been an evolution for me as I've continued to grow in my career. And I think where I've landed is that if you, if you focus on having the right people in the right roles, support them through their career development, then magic is going to happen. When you put the right, you know, I love to see in my teams when I put the right product and technical leaders and they work well together, it just, you know, just it just happens by itself. And so I, I like to think that if we take into consideration as much as we can people's careers and their development, when we make decisions about product, when we make decisions about the business, organizational structure, et cetera, then that, you know, your, your team is going to develop much faster and they're going to be able to support that growth. And, and as a leader, opening up space for other, like opening up the space for others to grow is critical. And so being intentional about that is another piece that I think is to me what it means to, you know, have a sort of a people first approach. I have, I uh, recently, I, at Amazon, we write tenants, which are mm. uh, in, in spaces, in documents, we write tenants, which are uh, meant to kind of, when, in, uh, when two things are intention to help you, intention with each other to help you make a decision one way or the other, right? Those are tenants. So you go back to the Jira tenants and you read them and you sort of, you know, they help you make a decision. And so I wrote leadership tenants and one of them says, um, in a pickle, people ahead of product. And so that's when in a pickle people ahead of product is sort of one of my leadership talents and I printed it out and I have it in my office. Um, and I can tell you, we can go through examples. I can tell you examples in which I've done that. Um, and it's, uh, and it uh, successfully, you know, to, the, the impact on the business has been much faster and much better because we, I took a people first approach. I really appreciate that so much. Um, and I kind of laughed because in my, so that's something I say, you know, about 
magic is created when you're when you're working with teams that um that are sh- that are shining that are in their element and you give them the space to grow yeah and i've just when you start with that um with a foundation of trust with your team right you they know that you're there to support their growth and their development and that you're going to do what you can t- to continue to invest in their career then it just everything happens so much faster because we are starting from that foundation of trust and so you know that i'm invested and 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 then um you're willing to invest in that growth without hesitation i'm very curious because you know like and 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 it's it's really lucky that you have had the experience that you've had inside of an organization for the last 15 years. So you understand like what, what the industry looks like as it shifts and changes. And so I'm curious to learn like what your leadership challenges have been like, you know, post pandemic. <laughs> well, I think that uh, it, it, uh, it, the last three years have helped me cement my leadership style as of uh, the people side of leadership the innovation is important. The product is important, but the people side was so important in the past three years mm-hmm. more than ever, right? Supporting your team through all of those transitions has been so important. I, um, I, I would tell through pandemic, I would tell my therapist um, that uh, that I would I felt that I was one myself. You know, my one on ones at the beginning of the pandemic became very much, you know, I mean, people's homes for the first time and, uh, and everyone is going through, you know, through it. And sure. in some cases is, you know, my, you know, for example, myself, my mom was visiting in Venezuela and got stuck in it and she got COVID there before the vaccines started. And so I was going through it. Some people had family in India, some people. And so you, you're you meeting in one-on-ones and these one-on-ones became like therapy sessions, right? Yes, and so for, <laughs> they did. And they so did. it's like yeah. going, giving people space to go through it, being flexible, um, and allowing space for folks to take care of their family. Uh, you know, I think having, um, needing that myself and being vocal about it with my team goes a long way. You know, mm-hmm. I have three kids and I, you know, as I was going through and my parents and all of that and in-laws and as you're going through pandemic, you're sort of like, Hey, yeah, this is a struggle for everyone. And let's just try to get it together. And so I think, just becoming even more of a people leader at the beginning of the pandemic. And then, and again, building that trust. And then it's been, uh, as uh, I've been talking about sort of the the shiny side of, of people leadership, which is growing and developing, but then it comes to the point where you're talking about RIF and you're talking about, you know, all the, the situation that is happening in, in the industry. And people are very, very, very anxious, right? And so now we're de- we we since the year started, we're dealing with you know anxiety in the workplace, given everything that is happening in the industry. And then we're coming back to the office. Actually, today, May first is the official day where we have 
return to office. And so folks have had to um, change your lives back, you know, from a, like who picks up the kid that now that I'm not at home, like all of, you know, their, their life back. And so I think that the common thread there is what I always tell my team is uh, even when you, when you're underperforming or when we need, to, you know, to work through growth and development and, and understand that this may not be the right job for you. If you know you can trust me if I can build that trust with the team you trust me that I'm coming from the right place right um that I'm seeking to understand that I'm trying to work with you on what's best for you then the rest happens I'm not saying it's easy and it's really hard when um for example my, my organization I only have five direct reports but I have a, a large organization and so you're talking about layers of management in some instances, two or three layers of management. And so how do I cascade that empathy and th that I that I try to instigate in my direct reports through the organization? And I think that mm -hmm. that's a, another, you know, complexity or complexifier. I love that because I, I do think that, and I love to hear that coming from, you know, someone like you that, is in in these roles where you know companies like Amazon can feel like an institution to to mm -hmm. folks like oh mm -hmm. that's big five you know like mm -hmm. um it's it's just sort of like this industrial like behemoth and to know that there's like these leaders that are at at the top you know trickling that empathy and grace and understanding and a flexibility flexibility down because I do think that things have shifted and we all of us kind of are, I mean, we are all are changed. We all need that grace. We all have been through the ringer and just understanding that and allowing that to transform your, your teams, I think are vital for sure. Yeah. 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 No questions asked, you know, you got to go and, and be with your mom for a month because they're like, you know, they're sick. No questions asked. Uh, yeah. You know, kid is, there's a, a call from school. No questions, like go and do it. Yeah. And I think that just builds, you know, so such a, a like a level of trust that um, an engagement from employees, I'm not, it's not easy, but, but that's, and I'm yeah. not saying I got it perfect at all but uh it's my aim it is your aim so you know it's so important to see representation in every industry i mean being you know people of color being women being you know underrepresented on any level um how important do you feel the role of mentorship is in inside of these underrepresented communities yeah, I would say mentorship and sponsorship. And I've I've benefited from both. Um but uh most recently I think I'm a huge fan of sponsoring sponsorship, especially when it comes to underrepresented minorities. And um I, I can tell you my version of the difference between those two. A mentor is uh reactive so you come to me and i have many mentees right like you come to me with an ad for advice with a question you know we meet once a quarter or however uh, frequency you want and we have the conversation that you want to have i also have a sponsees and for those is a is a 
proactive relationship. I am interested and invested in the growth in your career. And Mm -hmm. I triangulate between you and your manager to help you grow. And I can tell you that in my last promotion, I probably would not have gotten promoted had it not been for a a sponsorship program that for underrepresented minorities that Amazon had, uh, my space in particular. My sponsor helped me get there. Um, And so I've, I've taken those learnings and I'm applying it to others. But it is it it is difficult because there's not that many of us, um, and so I I rarely say no when it comes to you know uh, underrepresented minorities wanting sponsorship, and is very very busy. You know I, I it's um, when I when I got promoted to director at Amazon, which is a big step up. There was an email announcement that went out. Uh, in the, my organization that I work in, probably greater than a thousand people. And you have no idea how many women and men that I didn't know reached out to me saying something along the lines of, you know, you're an example. I'm showing this email to my daughter who wants to study engineering, you know, mm-hmm. because there is just not you know, there is not that many of us that look and sound like us and uh, at this level. And so it's a it's a huge honor, but also a huge responsibility, you know? It is. But I do get it. Like I, on LinkedIn, I get emails from people I don't even know weekly mm-hmm. of people asking me, to mentor or support or how can I do A or B or C? How can I get a job here? How can I, I mean, it's, it's, it's become overwhelming and I'm the type of person where I want to be there for everybody. And yeah. I've recently had to learn that I can't, I can't, especially, and on top of doing what I do with what a women tech, like I can't, yeah. but I always try to respond when I can or how I can. And um, I definitely feel like I want to, learn more about what other communities exist that I can funnel them to. Yeah. What I, what I, um, my, uh, Alana who helps me with my calendar, my executive assistant, what I, what we try to do is, um, so I, uh, mentoring and sponsoring energizes me as a leader. And so what I tell her is that she needs to put sprinkles of joy in my calendar. And so I'm like, you know, just have like 30 minutes here and there for, you know, my handful of mentees. And then most recently, um, I, uh, well, I mean, it's been a year and some, there is an organization, um, that does, uh, uh, a sponsorship mentorship through, uh, representation for young women, um, in undergrad. And so, you know, because my career has grown, a lot of the people that I've been mentoring are senior managers, senior executives with the 10 and 15 years of experience in tech. Um, and I decided to, that, that I wanted, um, I wanted a mix. And so I got into, uh, these, uh, organization and I'm helping them and I mentoring a, a, a woman, by the, I think the time that I met Gabriela, she was 19, and she's um, 
you know, in uh, first in finishing her AA, and uh, she wants to go into a four-year college, and uh, she's Latina, and she wants to go into AI, and so I meet with her once a month, helping her navigate through sort of going from two-year to four-year college, and what prerequisites does she need to get, like, in, like helping her with my network, and I think that the two approaches combined are keep you honest and are needed because sometimes you like it's been a while for me and you forget how hard it is you know at the beginning I still struggle like I never had mentors yeah I still uh, I have I have one that you know kind of has walked me through and unfortunately she has terminal cancer so that's been like something where I'm like I haven't quite found somebody new because it's like I don't want to quote unquote replace her now you know like I'm just still learning but I also feel like I'm at a place in my career and in my life where I feel like representation matters and I do want to be connected more with people who are leaders and who I want to emulate so I, I thank you for showing up for the next generation yeah so I hear you're going to Japan this summer <laughs> What are you most excited about this trip? So my, uh, so I have two boys, two teenage boys, my stepson, Henry, and my son, Leo. Um, and then I have a, a nephew, Max, and they're 13, 13, 14. Oh my God. Uh, I know, <laughs> I know. And let's just say that my house is stinky. <laughs> just to say the list. So Max, uh, uh, had his bar mitzvah in November, and uh, for my two, my nephew and my niece, I've when they bought bar mitzvah, I've been giving them a trip, and so Max chose to go to Japan. So I'm taking the three boys to Japan for a week and a half, as part of his present for uh, his coming of age. Um, and it's interesting because if I we're going to go with the girls, with my daughter and my niece and my sister. It would be all about the food and it would be all about like, you know, the temples that we're going to visit. Well, right now it's all about like, what's the sumo We're I guess we're going to go into a sumo match and um, it, we're going to go into the Nintendo uh, Lego or not Lego. They would kill me. Um, Nintendo <laughs> Park theme park. And so it's it's going to be a very, very, very different trip. And I'm going to be the only girl there. So we'll see. You know, at Wonder Woman Tech, we celebrate vulnerability as a superpower. Yeah. Um, I would love you to share something with us that you've never shared with anyone before. Uh, so as a, as a woman, Latina, in tech, people usually ask me, you know, what do you bring, what, how, how your background and, um, and, and who you are comes through in, at work, right? And, you know, I always you know, we talk. We can talk about leadership. We can talk about my ex, my live experiences and having empathy and all of that. And um, I uh, I got married a year ago, uh, and so my husband is. Uh, we, the, somebody was going to interview me, and with that question, and I just said, you know, I just I I I don't know, I I don't know that. Like, what do you think makes me unique? 
in the workplace? Like, I never know how to answer that question. And his answer was so obvious, but also, like, I would not have thought about it. He said, huh, you don't realize that you're, you make community anywhere you go. You're doing it and you're not realizing it. And so it took him from outside to realize, to help me realize the superpower that I had to build community where people take care of each other at work. And then, you know, he came into my life and he's like, you have this community around you and your family and then your friends. And you, you think that everybody has that but that's not true you you you'd really have that superpower and so it took my husband to realize that um and since then I've been leaning into that superpower and building like being more intentional about building community so I don't know if that's the spirit of the question but that's me being vulnerable (laughs) I love that Claudia and like I I really really appreciate that um interesting that um you said that because it is it takes a lot of vulnerability to even admit that (laughs) yeah well and and then it's so magical once you realize that you're like I guess I'm doing that and I guess I'm good at it you're like okay let me just double down you know (laughs) building community and building this support system for everyone you know I love that and I know you you've 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 shared um that you love cooking Mm -hmm. because that's love language of yours and that also kind of lends itself to community building yeah I love just being in my kitchen and then folks seating in front of me while I just cook and it just it's it it is my way to say I love you to the people that I love yeah oh my gosh well you have had an incredible journey you have been able to create a legacy at Amazon one of the largest companies in the world So looking back, would you take the easy road or the road less traveled and why? Oh, definitely the less traveled. I like to learn. I think I've come to, you know, yes, I'm putting myself to our earlier conversation, putting myself in uncomfortable situations because of the exponential learning and uh, the impact that, that you have in people's lives, um, especially when you're building cool technology and cool product that, you know, millions of customers use. And so I think that if I had gone with the flow and sort of the easiest path, I would not have had the opportunity to, to the opportunities and learnings that I've had in my career. Um, And, you know, when it comes to people management, when it comes to product, when it comes to family life too. And so definitely the less traveled. I really appreciate that. And, you know, I mean, definitely has sound like you have taken a lot of different detours, but that you have interestingly enough also experienced the magic of being in the right place at the right time to innovate forward and build that community and bring it with you in the process as well. So Claudia, it has been an absolute pleasure to like get to know you, learn more about Uh, your leadership and your presence and your superpower. And thank you so much for spending this time with me today. Thank you so much. It's been so much fun to uh, talk to you today. 
Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for being here, innovators. Make sure you give us a like and share the podcast with your network. We'll see you next week when we take on the world one more time. <laughs>